We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I talk about Mary Shelley's classic, Frankenstein, a modern-day Prometheus. I talk about the first selfie ever taken. Then I return to Greek mythology again and the story of Narcissus. And I can't let it go. I have to talk about Naomi Osaka one more time. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's show. I want to talk about a couple classics again. I think I've hit on Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. The classic Frankenstein, the scientist. Dr. Frankenstein, who invented a monster. He thought he could create his own version of the human being, that he could reconstruct what it meant to be human. He could become a god. He could become god. He could build life. He could build a human being as well, if not better than God himself. And you know the story. You've seen multiple different versions of it. He created a monster, and the monster became a very ugly violent version of what it meant to be human. The Imago Dei, the image of God, was disparaged, discarded in favor of building something that was the image of man himself. And it didn't end well. I am going to talk just a little bit about that today. Mary Shelley's A Modern Day Prometheus. I will also share with you a little bit out of my book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good, out of the chapter titled, Don't Fall in the Pool. In that chapter, I share the story of the first recorded fatality as the result of taking a selfie. It's a very interesting story. I start out the chapter, Don't Fall in the Pool, with that story. It's actually subtitled a costly selfie. And I can't let it go. I've got to relate all of this back to Naomi Osaka. And you know, I spent a couple shows last week talking about her. But this is so critical because she is the poster child of everything that ails us right now. This woman that made over $55 million dollars has made over $55 million so far this year. She'll make more in 2021 unless she keeps walking off of the court because somebody asks her a question she doesn't like. Someone dares to challenge her sense of self, her self-worth, her self-actualization. It's all about her. You can't ask her why she made a bad shot. You can't ask her why she's having difficulty playing at the net today. You can't ask her why her serve percentage is down on clay versus 
hardcore. Now, you can't ask those questions because that causes doubt in her mind. It causes her to feel uncomfortable. It offends her. It's a microaggression. She's triggered by such questions. So she just walks away. Walks away. Jumps in her little Zen booth, I guess. And focuses on herself. This is the topic of today's show. Somewhat of a repeat, I guess. Some of you may be thinking, oh, that's a bit of a one-string banjo, isn't it? Mm, kinda. But we're going to go at it in a couple different angles today. And if we don't get this corrected, if we don't understand that teaching self-actualization rather than selflessness in our schools and preaching it in our churches, and if we don't understand that helicopter parenting is creating a bunch of modern-day Prometheuses, then we're, we're lost. We're, we're just lost. So that's today's show. Let's take a break, acknowledge our sponsors, and when I get back, we'll talk about the self-inflicted disease of self-actualization, the real pandemic that's threatening to kill not only the United States, but in the entire Western world right now. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. All right, so in 2017, you know that I've talked about that was the year I published my book, Not a Daycare. Uh, the national bestseller, Not a Daycare. It really wasn't my first book. I often say that it was, but actually the first book that I wrote was Why I'm a Liberal and Other Conservative Ideas. That's a book, a collection of essays, where I talk about the fact that conservatives, such as myself, are frankly classically more liberal than our left-of-center counterparts because we believe in liberty. We believe in freedom. We believe that those things are given by God and not just offered by government. We believe in a covenant, not a hierarchy. We believe that that is what gives us more freedom rather than less. So we conserve the covenant. We conserve the Constitution. That's the nature of why I'm a liberal and other conservative ideas. I don't call it my first book, I guess, because it was published in a very small operation and uh, didn't get as much traction as Not a Daycare. Not a Daycare was a national bestseller. And in that book, in 2017, I warned that the Snowflake Rebellion wouldn't stay on our nation's campuses. I told everybody. I said that our precious little darlings who were being coddled at Berkeley and Brown would obviously soon graduate, and they wouldn't leave their immaturity at those institutions. They'd take it with them, and they'd take their childish demands for safe spaces from those campuses to our corporations. I, I said, I, I kept saying it over and over again, I told anyone that would listen that ideas always have consequences, and that what we were teaching in our classrooms would always be practiced in our culture. Sound familiar? How many times have I said that on this show? I said in Not a Daycare, I think the key theme there was 
that an education grounded in self-absorption would inevitably yield a nation full of self-absorbed people. Garbage in, garbage out. Ideas have consequences. No neutral idea. All ideas lead somewhere. Sound familiar? These are things I've said over and over again. Well, I started saying it back in 2017 in that book. Well, fast forward. It's 2021, and the Mary Shelley-like monsters, the Mary Shelley-like monsters that we've stitched together in our postmodern laboratories, I guess we could call them public schools, these monsters that we've created are alive and well, and they're demanding that we make them feel good about themselves. I, I've said it. They graduated. They got jobs at Google and Facebook and Twitter. They got jobs at Chick-fil-A. Yeah, sidebar, and I don't want to... I went to a, a Chick-fil-A, a local one. A local one here in Bartlesville. And the girl at the counter didn't even acknowledge me, just stared at me. This is Chick fil A. I'm thinking, are you ready to take my order? And I had to initiate. She's just staring at me without a smile, without any welcome to Chick fil A. She takes my order, doesn't acknowledge it, doesn't repeat it back to me. Doesn't say my pleasure. Remember, Chick-fil-A is supposed to always say my pleasure. She doesn't say it. I grab my drink and I go sit down. Another girl comes out and brings it, sets it down at me. Doesn't say, thanks for coming to Chick-fil-A. Doesn't say my pleasure. And walks away. They get the order wrong. My fries aren't in the bag. So I go to the girl that delivered it to my table, and I say, excuse me, my order isn't right here. I don't have my fries. And she looks at the receipt that's stapled to the bag, and she said, well, that's not what the receipt says. I'm not kidding you. This is Chick-fil-A here in Bartlesville. And I got a little firm, and I said, well, I ordered a number one, and a number one comes with fries. <laughs> she doesn't say anything. She goes back and gets my fries and brings them out to my table. This is Chick-fil-A, and I'm thinking, my land self-centered, self-absorption, narcissistic culture is even alive and well at Chick-fil-A. I'm being confronted by little Frankenstein monsters, even here. Uh, back to my point. Again, I said this would happen. They would graduate. They'd leave our postmodern laboratories, our public schools, our universities, and they'd start demanding that we make them feel good about themselves at Facebook and Twitter and Amazon and Google and Conoco and ConocoPhillips. They'd start demanding that we make them feel good about themselves at McDonald's and Burger King and Chick-fil-A. But as you know, this month's blue ribbon winner of the nation's nonstop race of perpetual adolescence was Naomi Osaka. Actually, I should say this month's. Did I say this week's? I can't remember. Anyway, this month's winner.
Osaka, the second-ranked women's tennis player in the world, decided that she was just going to walk off the court at the French Open. And as you know, I told you last week, her reason was this. She needed to retreat into her safe space. She didn't want to subject herself to any of those nasty journalists asking difficult questions that would cause her to doubt herself. This fragile professional athlete who lives such a cursed life, she's been so cursed by intersectionality that she's already earned $55.2 million in 2021. This poor person felt triggered by a simple inquiry that might make her feel less than perfect. Her response to the microaggressions of the mean journalists asking her tough questions was to literally pick up her ball and go home. I shared with you a little bit last week of Steve Salerno's article in Quillet where he talks about this entire situation and he nails it. It's a long article. It's a little academic because he's referring to multiple psychologists, which makes it interesting because these are people that are traditionally not conservative at all. In fact, they're probably all very much left of center. The article has caused confusing cure, excuse me, confusing cure and disease, Quillet, June 7th, 2021, Salerno. In that article, he contends that Osaka's abrupt withdrawal from the French Open is symptomatic of a disease sweeping across the entire Western world. And that disease, that illness, that pandemic, according to Salerno, is narcissism. That's what he calls it. I've been beating the drum constantly about narcissism on this show. I've told you the story about Greek mythology and Narcissus so in love with himself, infatuated with himself, gazing at his own image, Narcissus, the originator of the selfie, staring in the pool at the river's edge, at himself, at the image of himself, his own reflection, so long that he becomes emaciated and weak and slips and falls in and drowns. Well, Salerno argues that this narcissism has a clear cause. And that cause is our terrible schools and terrible teaching. One of the quotes I shared with you was this. It's a take-home. you got to listen to it again. Steve Salerno. Rhapsodizing over a non-toxic social environment harkens back to what helped get us in this mess in the first place. The self-esteem movement took root in American schools, premised on the notion that students who struggle in school did so because they felt bad about themselves. But reimagining every aspect of the classroom experience around the imperative of building self-esteem didn't end well. Filling kids with boatloads of self-love, says Salerno, did, however, accomplish something. Terrible teaching and terrible schools have produced hordes of young adults whose frustrated sense of self has left them feeling miserable and anxious, 
Their fixation on self-actualization rather than personal responsibility has left them with a sense of disillusion. So what, Sim- what Salerno, excuse me, what Salerno is saying, the simple fact of what he's saying, is that our society's children have become so insulated from the consequences that they expect to continue to be insulated from consequences as they grow up. Okay? We've insulated them from the fact that ideas have consequences, that behavior has consequences, that worldview has worldviews ha- have consequences, and that your choices have consequences. You choose to engage sexually, there are consequences. Well, today we'll just erase it. There are no consequences. Go kill the baby. Pretend it never happened. You want to pretend that you're a female rather than a male? And amputate functioning parts of your body to get there? There are consequences. And those are long-term consequences that are very tough to correct. Again, this is what Salerno says. Put simply, children who have been insulated from the consequences of life expect to continue to be insulated from the consequences as they grow up. Having been been brought up to believe that their feelings and emotions alone rule the day, they may shut down or strike out when they discover that they don't. Again, feelings and emotions over facts. This is a good article. You should go read it. Again, wade through it. Wade through some of the commentary of the psychologists that he cites. His point is crystal clear. Because America, and frankly the entire Western world, has bought the lie of self-esteem, we've produced an entire culture of perpetual adolescence who've never quite reached adulthood, and we now suffer a, a pandemic. We're now suffering a pandemic, yes, a pandemic, not COVID, a pandemic of forever children, Salerno's quote, forever children who are ill-equipped to deal with the real world. In Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good, I say this, bad teaching tends to create a distorted understanding of how the world works and one's role within it. And today, bad teaching has led to large swaths of society throwing a collective temper tantrum. What we teach in our schools is now bearing itself out in the behavior we see in our streets. Abraham Lincoln reportedly said the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will become the philosophy of the culture in the next. And then, as you know, I've said over and over again that Hitler even understood this. Evil people understand this oh so well. That's why the cultural revolution in China took place. Mao understood the power of the schoolroom, the power of education in the minds of naive adolescents and children. Give them a bad idea and you can control them by the millions. Hitler understood it. Mao understood it. Pol Pot understood it. Every despot understands this. That's why Marxism starts in the classroom. Hitler understood it. 
Let me control the textbooks and I will control the state, he said. What's taught in the nation's classrooms will be practiced in that nation's boardrooms and courtrooms and living rooms. The moral to this story, this story of Frankenstein and Prometheus, the moral to the story of Narcissus, the moral to the story of my book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe But It's Good, the moral to the story of Not a Daycare, all of it is the same thing. Frankly, the moral to the story of the Bible is the same. Selfishness always has a cause. And that cause, in great measure, can almost always be traced back to what we teach our progeny. I said the Bible is on the same track. Well, let's look at Solomon. Solomon says it. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The point there's great power in ideas, and what we teach our children will result in either noble or narcissistic ends. And unfortunately, the news of Naomi Osaka's retreat to her safe space, unfortunately, this is the poster child of the second, not the first, of the narcissistic ends rather than the noble ends. People, ideas matter. You need to care about the ideas that your kids are consuming. Look at it that way. Are they consuming healthy ideas? Ideas that will build up a strong mind, body, and soul? Or are they consuming carcinogens, ideological carcinogens that will give them cancer of heart, mind, and soul? If you drink poison, eventually you're going to die. If you're consuming carcinogens, eventually you're going to get cancer. The way to cure cancer is not to put a Band-Aid on it. The way to cure cancer is to stop doing the stuff or consuming the stuff, eating the stuff, and drinking the stuff that gives you cancer in the first place. We're consuming ideological cancer. We're feeding ideological carcinogens to our progeny, to our kids and grandkids. And it's happening right across the street in your local schools. Ideas matter. And when you teach self-indulgence and narcissism, you're going to get a bunch of self-indulgent narcissists. Not just in your colleges. Not just at Berkeley and Brown. Not just on the campus green, but even on the tennis courts at Roland Garros. Who was I? What was I? Whence did I come? What was my destination? A cursed creator. Why did you form a monster so hideous that even you turned from me in disgust? That's a quote from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein or the modern-day Prometheus. Listen to the quote again. Who was I? What was I? Whence did I come? What was my destination? A cursed creator. Why did you form a monster so hideous that even you turned from me in disgust? That's the monster. He's, he's angry. 
Now he's violent. Oh, he's not the perfect human being that Dr. Frankenstein thought he was creating in his little laboratory, in his public schools, if you will. Now, this thing that he created was now angry, and it was looking back at him, its creator, its teacher, its preacher, its parent. He's looking back at its helicopter parent and saying, Who was I? What was I? Whence did I come? I don't even know anymore who I am, what I am, where I came from, what my destination is. A cursed creator, you, you the helicopter parent, you the terrible teacher, you the mushy, emergent, affirming preacher, you my accursed creator. Why did you form me like this? A monster so hideous that even you are now turning from me in disgust. You're afraid of me. You don't love me. You're afraid of me. That's the Piper paraphrase of that quote. Who was I? What was I? Whence did I come? What was my destination? A cursed creator. Why did you form such a monster so hideous that even you turn from me in disgust? Mary Shelley, Frankenstein, or the modern day Prometheus. Very quickly, in my book, Grow Up, in the chapter, Don't Fall in the Pool, the quote that I begin Uh, that particular chapter with is this from Zig Ziglar. You will never find a truly happy, self-centered person. They simply don't exist. In that chapter, I talk about the first recorded selfie that was fatal, the first recorded selfie fatality. As best we understand it, it was in 2011, not that long ago. Man, has the world changed, hasn't it? He had three teenage girls who were tragically struck by a train in Utah while they were taking a selfie on a railroad track. There have been many recorded selfie deaths since 2011. In 2014, 33,000 people were injured in cell phone-related vehicle accidents. Some of them were from selfies. I suppose the most noted of such accidents was the woman who was gored by a bison in Yellowstone while she was taking a selfie. And we've had multiple people who have fallen over the cliffs in Yosemite while doing the same thing, taking selfies. The selfie smile. Have you ever noticed the, the girl that has a, a pretty smile in a photograph, and then all of a sudden you recognize it's not natural. It's contrived. It's plastic. She's practiced it so often that when it comes time for the phone to come out, she has this perfect pose and perfect smile, the selfie smile. It's fake. It's a lie. It's deceptive. It's self-actualization rather than selflessness. It's narcissism, people. It's an ideological cancer. We're creating monsters and they're turning on us right now as we speak. The solution is to tell them the truth, not prop up their delusion. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.